Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. By exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. This episode is brought to you by ManyTricks, makers of helpful apps for the Mac. Visit manytricksalloneword.com slash pragmatic for more information about their amazingly useful apps. We'll talk more about them during the show. Uh, Pragmatic is supported by you, our listeners. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so via Patreon, for early release, high-quality, ad-free episodes, visit engineer.network slash pragmatic to learn how you can help. Thank you. I'm your host, John Chigi, and today I'm joined by Ronnie Lutz. How you doing, Ronnie? I'm fantastic. Good morning, good night, good evening, whatever. Yes, good generic time of the day is what they say on the feed, uh, but that's another podcast in any case, because uh, they figure, well, no one knows what time of the day that you're recording in your time zone, my time zone, or when you're actually going to listen to it. So I kind of like that. And then they abbreviated it to um, GTOTD or something like that. And I can, I'm like, the first time I heard, I'm like, what are you talking about? Good generic time of the day. Anyhow, but yes. <laughs> <sighs> there you go. Before we get stuck into the main topic um, for um, for today, um, I just wanted to uh, have a couple of quick little announcements Um of a sort, anyhow. I, I recently, at the request of uh, some listeners and uh, patrons, was uh, we love listening to your voice, John. They said, and I'm like, okay, that's sure, thank you. Um, would you like to do a, a podcast um, to help people go to sleep just by listening to your voice? And I thought, well, that's that's a bit odd, <laughs> um, I guess. So sure, why not? Uh, and I, I, I kind of teased the idea back and forth in the back of my head for a while. I didn't do anything until this whole COVID-19 um, thing went down. And so I thought, you know what, if I can help someone get to sleep in these sorts of unusual and difficult times, then why not? So um, this, as of the time of recording this episode, there are now two up. Another one went up yesterday. Uh, and uh, if you want to just go to the engineered network, uh, engineered.network forward slash sleep and um, have a listen. And if it put you to sleep, then two thumbs up. We'll call that a success since that's what it's trying to help you with, I guess. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Perfect. Yeah. Well, if it works, it's perfect. But I mean, anyway. <laughs> um, and because you're still awake, I'm assuming you haven't listened to it. So that's fine. Uh <laughs> Never mind. It's fine. I, I'm uh, I'm not even trying to be funny. I, it's one of those things that people, uh, I, I just hope it helps somebody. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to do this long term. It's going to be pseudo random, the timing. So um, it's, and if you have requests, if people have requests for stuff they want me to read, so long as it's like creative commons, or I, um, you know, I, I can't read something that I'm going to get sued for reading, <laughs> you know. Right. But, you know, so I don't know. So um, So that was the first thing. Uh, second thing was um, I've actually got back into app development. Uh, you probably saw some chatter on this, I think, Ronnie, probably. I did, yeah. Yeah. We talked about it. We did, uh, yes. And so the app that I'm currently working on is one called Timeless Day. I don't want to go into too much detail about it, but it is an Apple Watch app. And I've actually been working on this for a few months now. This isn't a new thing, uh, but the whole COVID situation sort of put it on hold. So I just wanted to let people know that it's back off hold again. I'm hoping to go to uh, test flight betas in the next month and then release about a month after that or thereabouts, depending on how good or bad the test flight beta goes, I suppose. <laughs> but in any case, 
Um, so yeah, it's a it's a watch. Uh, it's an Apple Watch only app, standalone Apple Watch app. It, it will not have a companion app on the iPhone. So, um, and I've caught. A, I sort of thought about all these different apps that I could be writing because I just I just feel like writing code. And anyway, it's sort of scratching my programming itch, I guess you could say. But in any case, so I, I really struggle with decent uh, acronyms sometimes, and I, I thought about. It'd be nice to have a place to put all the apps that I've ever written or intending to write, and to come up with some kind of name. And it's terrible. I mean, I don't think it's that great. It's it's I've I've called it um, slip apps. It's not trying to be funny. It's just trying to abbreviate what I'm trying to do with my apps, which is solving my little problems with apps, or solving life's problems with apps, or solving my life's problems with apps. Which, if you pluck the right letters out, spells slip. <laughs> That's, okay. That's what I got. That's all I got. Anyway, that, I, if it may sound ridiculous, but that's okay. There's a link in the show notes if you want to go check it out. Um, there's not a heck of a lot there at the moment. This is the Causality uh, app, which is the uh, the Libsyn joint venture, I guess you could call it. Um, bedside Clock reference is still in there. Obviously, that's still not that's still um, not in the store. It's still um, been pulled down until I can update it, but I am going to update that. And uh, there's a couple of other apps that also I'm going to uh, develop as well, hopefully in the next six to twelve months or so. So I want to I want to start getting some apps back out there again, and kind of miss doing that. So I started doing that a while back too. I you know started just I downloaded Xcode and started watching some videos online and started doing some coding, and it, it was kind of fun. But then I kind of got caught up in COVID nineteen, and you would think it would be the best time to do it, but I can't seem to find any time to do it anymore, which is weird since I have all the time in the world. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I the funny thing with me is that getting into this space where um, I'm, I'm now working from home and I've got, you know, the whole clan at home as well. Um, so, my wife and four kids. So, it's kind of that uh, that noise and distraction makes it difficult. But we've gotten into a bit more of a routine and respecting spaces and different things. And I feel like the time is right for me to sort of like, you know, open the lid on that one again and see and see uh see what else is in there so anyhow um but yeah the um i guess the thing is that i just this there's bits and pieces about the apple watch that still annoy me and i guess i just wanted to write a few apps to plug some of those gaps yeah it's just silly little things but in any case um i didn't want to let say too much more about it just to, to, to let people know that yes i am working on that i am i am programming uh in xcode again and it feels good to do it uh that said um yeah watch this space hopefully by the time the next episode comes out there'll be something more to talk about but anyway for the moment that's that excellent okay right so the topic for the episode um those people that have been following me on uh, the fediverse or on twitter uh, or my blog at tech distortion will know about what we're about to talk about uh which is basically all of my trials and tribulations with uh wireless issues, uh, wireless connectivity issues and docks and interference and things of that nature. Because since I've moved from a, to an environment where I'm working from home, I realized that I have a lot of Bluetooth devices connected. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to I'm going to get myself a, a Magic Mouse 2, um, which is, you know, a very very nice although ergonomically questionable mouse. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Right, yeah. right. And right now it's in Harpoon Turtle mode. <laughs> Another great design decision. Never mind Apple. But <laughs> I tell you what, when that mouse is working fine, it is a great mouse. It feels really, really good to use. It's precise and I like the scrolling on it. Um, you know, up, down, left, right. 
the usability of it. It is a very nice mouse. It's just that you get a hand cramp after using it too much. But so anyway, this this is about three and a half weeks ago, something like that. So just after about a week and a bit into lockdown. And um, maybe I'm getting the chronology slightly messed up, but I already had a trackpad and I already had the uh, the Bluetooth keyboard, uh, which is a, the full Apple um, with a numeric keypad. And uh, I picked it up secondhand a while ago, um, told the story on bubble sort and, you know, that's another story, but never mind. <laughs> the point is that, so I had that. And then finally, uh, I also was using my AirPods. So previously I'd use my AirPods and the AirPods would be tethered to connected to my phone. And I'd be listening to podcasts or when I was out walking or, or jogging or whatever the heck I was doing, riding my bike. And uh, sometimes I'd connect them up to my iPad, but I've practically never connected them to my MacBook Pro. So now, fast forward to about three weeks ago, I finally had all of these things all connected at once. That's four Bluetooth devices talking to my MacBook Pro. And that was when I really started to notice these little things that I'd noticed and ignored for the longest time starting to become a massive problem. So I'd be in the office and uh, the office, I work in a multi-story building in the central business district or downtown Brisbane. So that place is an RFP soup. It's like there's mobile phone towers everywhere. There's You look out the window and you just see other buildings and mobile phone towers and there's Wi-Fi hotspots all around you. I mean, you're basically, if you could see the RF, the radio frequency radiation, it would be like a like a layer of smog of radio. There's just so much. So I got used to the trackpad occasionally not working quite right because I'd use my trackpad at work or and just just weird disconnect things with my with my AirPods, even to my phone. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's just the RFP soup. But I wasn't using them long enough in the home environment to really understand that there's actually a problem with my home setup. There's something wrong. And I and, and for the longest time, I thought it was my MacBook Pro, which is only a year and a half old. It's a 2018 um, um, dodgy keyboard model. <laughs> I don't. Okay, so that's not its correct name, but you know the one I mean. <laughs> I think everybody will, yeah. Yeah, I think <laughs> they will. Um, so, but you, you'd actually just to just to check in. So you, you've got um, you've got a couple of iMacs, I think you said. Is that right? I- I do, yeah. Yeah, so you don't actually have a Mac. You don't have a MacBook Pro with a dodgy keyboard. Just checking. I do not. I you don't do. have any. I don't have any laptops. I don't like laptops. So. Uh, any specific reason why? Just curious. Uh, well, I figure they're not as good as a, you know, the desktop. And if I want portability, I'll just use an iPad. And I don't do a lot of work that would require me to actually need a laptop. So there you go. Okay. So on your on your iMacs, do you uh, use much? Is it all wired, or do you use many wireless? Um, uh, peripherals i i have the same keyboard you have i believe the mm-hmm. the one with the number pad and yep. i have the wireless trackpad and i have a wireless mouse and that is about it for wired and then i will try to plug my airpods in and i have some issues getting my airpods connected but i don't know if that's a bluetooth issue or just a mac issue okay so this is okay so the interesting thing for me was that i initially jumped to oh you know dodgy keyboard dodgy bluetooth probably you know I I just you know just jumped to that and I thought well maybe I've got some Bluetooth problems with my my MacBook Pro or maybe I've got some problems with my iMac and that was just superficially where I started. So when I started listing all these devices out, um, and then I started to actually write down what the specific issues were to try and track when the problem started and what the problem was. So the issues I had with my keyboard was I was getting keystroke lag. So I mean I can type relatively fast. I'm not 
you know, like 100 words a minute or greater. I mean, I think I, I go, I average between 80 to 100 on a good day, but I don't break 100 very often at all. And um, so I can type respectably fast, but not stupidly fast. Uh, but even so, when I'm typing, I was just typing at moderate speeds, I was occasionally getting periods of time where I was just getting keystroke lag. And I'm like, oh, that's probably just, you know, Catalina doing something dodgy in the background, something in the software stack. Oh, I don't know. So I, I kind of, you know, I'll let that go. Then the trackpad. Now, uh, people that follow Casey List might be aware that he's had issues with his trackpad. Now, uh, he was having issues where he would tap the the trackpad and it would not do much. And then suddenly you would get like a bullet go like a, like a kind of all at once. And like the feedback would be time delayed. Now, I started getting... I'd, I'd been experiencing that occasionally, but it was becoming more frequent. And it went from just being a couple to quite a few in a row. And that's quite an interesting sound if you've ever heard it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's this, hmm. Yeah, anyway. Um, so then the Magic Mouse. So how the Magic Mouse started was, it was a brand new peripheral. And this, I guess, was part of the final story. It was that in the AirPods, was that the mouse was stuttering as I was moving the cursor. So have you ever um, had a, a stuttering mouse cursor on a on a mouse? I have actually, yeah. Not recently, but I have, yeah. Well, how would, how would you describe it? Because I struggled to describe what exactly, I mean, I call it stuttering. Maybe that's not the right, the right word for it, but it's, it's, it's kind of lagging, but it sort of jumps as it goes from spot to spot though. I think stuttering is a good word. I mean, for, for us Americans, you know, the gun culture, it kind of looks like a, like a, like a, I don't know, like an automatic weapon going across the screen. Yeah. Yeah. A bit like that. Yeah. Okay. That's a good description as well. And it's maddening because if you're used to a mouse that is smooth as silk, like when you move that mouse across the table, you get an equivalent response at the same rate of acceleration slowing down. When it starts stuttering, it drives me up the wall like so fast. I, I, I have no fuse for that. And I, I just, it was, it was, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this mouse. It is brand new. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. How could there be something wrong with this? And that led me down the path of, okay, well, then we talk about the AirPods. Now the AirPods were even stranger because, so you talked about connection issues with the AirPods, like connecting it. So that was, um, or having a reliable connection is that it? Like connection was sometimes dropping out, or yeah, like well, it, it would not connect easily. And then when I did, it would like I could hear it. I don't know, stutter almost too. Okay, my AirPods would do that. It's like crackling in your in the audio and yeah, and like pausing and then starting back up again. Just some messed up stuff. And this still happens to me actually when I try to do my AirPods to my backs. Okay, so that's interesting. I uh, the funny thing for me was that. With uh, the AirPods, the only time they would break up was if I got too far away from the Mac, which is which is fine. Bluetooth's only supposed to have like a, a three meter, ten foot uh, range or something like that. Anyway, it's not specifically it's not it's not high power, which is of course part of the problem, which I'll get to. But um, so what I was seeing was um, the audio I was hearing in my ears was fine. It was absolutely fine, crystal clear, no no crackling, no distortion, no no nothing. But it was the other way around because I was using it for uh, all these audio conferencing and video conferencing apps because, of course, now I'm working from home. So working from home, we've got, well, Skype for Business, FaceTime Audio, Microsoft Teams, and, of course, roll your eyes now if you'd like to, Zoom. (laughs) 
um, for all of the problems that it's got. Let's not even go there. But hey, um, and and I was in these meetings for a long time. You know, like some days was nine hours straight. And oh my god, it was ridiculous, right? And because I mean, I used to go to a lot of meetings, and they followed me uh, <laughs> to work from home. <laughs> so like. <laughs> Oh man. And sometimes, you know, I say these meetings, like that's not all one meeting, right? It's like you you basically you jump off one conference call and then you jump onto the next one. And then someone you jump off, you think you got 30 minutes and someone sees you're available, so they call you. And it's like you're basically on the phone, either in a meeting or a conference call or a one-on-one conversation for nine hours straight. And it's ridiculous. But Anyway, I'm getting a bit off topic, but the point was that the audio from my microphone, they would say, Yeah, John, you you're dropping in and out. And and I'm like, okay, first thing I went to before I got the uh, the, the whole mouse um, was I looked at my bandwidth and I've got decent enough internet now. For, re- rewind five years and it was terrible. But in the last five years, we've gotten the National Broadband Network or NBN. And unlike some people who have had problems with the NBN, I've had none. The NBN for me has been fantastic. It's fiber optic up to about 800 meters away or was about a thousand yards away, something like that. And the rest of that is just twisted pair copper. And it is uh, measured as about 100 megabits down, 40 megabits up. So I do not have a bandwidth problem. And yet they were reporting, hey, you're breaking up. That's the first thing I figure, you know. And it didn't matter if it was video and audio or just audio. It didn't matter. It still broke up. So after a long process of elimination, I, um, well... I came to the conclusion that I have a common problem somehow. So what did I do? (laughs) First things first. Okay, I'm a podcaster. Right, amongst other things. Um, So I I have no shortage of microphones. I have plenty of them. So I don't have to, uh, like my AirPod microphones aren't the boss of me. If I want to plug in my Heil PR40, I'm going to do that. So that's the first thing I did uh, when I was reported on that uh, having audio problems. So I put the Heil into the Mix Pre 3, put the Mix Pre 3 into the MacBook Pro and uh, assigned that as my microphone when I was using Skype, when I was using Facebook, FaceTime, yada, yada, yada. And um, the audio problems were solved. And I'm like, okay, so it's, is it the AirPods then? So then what I did is, as I said previously, I was using my AirPods with my phone all the time. So I repaired my AirPods to the phone, to my iPhone, and then I made phone calls again using Skype because, I mean, I can do a Skype call from a phone as much as I can from the Mac. It still works. And there were no audio problems. But the thing that was different was that in order for me to make a phone call, I have to go to a different part of the house because my desk in the study has terrible phone reception. (laughs) So in order to make a phone call, I have to actually go to a different part of the house. And so whenever I make a phone call, even if it's on Skype, instinctively, I would leave the study and I would go to a different room and I'd make the call from a different room because I was just used to doing that on my mobile phone. So what I'd managed to prove was that it was a problem with the AirPod microphone when I was in the study. Okay, so far, so good. So the next it's question... Like, it's like a game of Clue, huh? Uh, this It's... The thing is, and I wrote a whole article about this on Tech Distortion, there is a link in the show notes if you're interested in reading the nitty-gritty details. Um, well, did, 
actually can't think of it. They're kind of just as gritty as what we're talking about right now. But <laughs> they're the same as what we're talking about. The same grit level is there. So you can you can read it if you don't want to hear it, or you can read it and hear it either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, look, it's it, it's a process of elimination. And if I had uh, a spectrum analyzer, uh, like some proper test kit, like when I worked at Nortel back in Calgary in nineteen ninety nine through to 2001 and before that as a student in 97 i mean we had the most unbelievably awesome spectrum analyzers i mean these things are worth thirty thousand dollars yeah each but oh that was so good and yeah these things you could literally um, put a, a string of wire off the end of the probes and it would just give you a sweep of the entire spectrum of noise just it was just picking up on that piece of wire in a room and you know just to prove it was working, you could see uh, you put inside the nanocoic chamber, and you'd you'd see near silence. And um, anyway, but I don't have that at home. You know, they didn't let me take that in my carry on <laughs> when I left. So yeah, kind of. They didn't let you take the thirty thousand dollar equipment at yeah, home with you. I know. I can't imagine why either. But you know, hey, there you go. So um, so no, I don't have any of that. In fact, thanks to my um, one of my older sons, I no longer have a functioning multimeter anymore either. But that's <laughs> different story. Again, that's what that's what kids do. <sighs> yeah, they 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 test they test patients. That's for sure, and things they shouldn't with multimeters. Anyhow, all right. Mm. Um, back on topic, right? Yes. So I didn't actually have a spectrum analyzer. So I, this is all just a process of elimination. So the first thing was the microphone in the AirPods when I was in the study with the candlestick. So that was, <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the first one. So the second one was the mouse. So I'm like, okay, the mouse is a problem because the mouse um, is is wireless. Now I have no way to make it wired. So what I could do is I could plug in a wired USB mouse, which I still had. I still had that archaic technology, so that was fine. So I plugged it in and there was no mouse stuttering anymore. There's no, yeah, there was no automatic weapon going off. Uh, it was just, it was just, you know, fine as it should be. But that didn't prove that it wasn't a problem with the wireless. It just could have still been a problem with the mouse. So that wasn't conclusive, but that was at least evidence to suggest it wasn't the MacBook Pro in terms of some software stack problem uh, with the mouse cursor. So that was not it. So then I thought, okay, well, maybe things are interfering uh, and I'm getting some kind of interference from some other devices. And it could be something in the study. It could be something connected to the computer. I actually don't know. The next thing to do was to start turning off or getting rid of other devices that could be interfering on Bluetooth. So the, the simplest thing I thought of was, well, I can wire, I can plug a wire, a USB cable, a USB lightning cable into my uh, keyboard. And if I plug that into USB, it turns off the Bluetooth radio and it acts just like a USB keyboard. Uh, it charges it too, which is good. So I tried that and I found that it actually did improve the stuttering. It didn't get rid of it, but it, it was not as bad. And I thought, okay, so that now tends to suggest that there could be some kind of interference uh, by too many things on the Bluetooth frequencies that are interfering with each other or making it difficult for other ones to be like essentially being drowned out. All right, so far, so I think almost good. Um, <laughs> almost. Almost. Now I have to eliminate what's plugged into the MacBook Pro. This is where it gets a little bit more complicated. When I first got my MacBook Pro, Uh, One of the reasons I got this particular model was not because it had a touch bar. In fact, the touch bar was a disincentive to get it. 
um, because t- I hate the touch bar. Such <laughs> a lot of money for no reason. It does nothing. <sighs> yeah, nothing useful anyway. I mean, it sure looks good in a demo, but once you try and use it, it's. I've, I've, you know what? I've done a whole episode on the, on that before. It's just look before you touch. Uh, feel free to look it up, uh, uh, listener, and uh, enjoy listening to me rant about how much I don't understand the touch bar. Anyway, <laughs> I got this one because it had four USB C ports more than anything else, and they're still not enough. <laughs> that was the conclusion that I've reached. <laughs> So here's what I had. Um, I started out with this uh, Thunderbolt dock. And Thunderbolt dock is made by a company called StarTech.com. Uh, I've also heard uh, Marco recommend a different dock from them as well. So StarTech.com and they, you know, I got it through, I think I got it through Amazon if memory serves. Not super expensive. I think it was a bit over $200, something like that, Australian, whatever that is in the US, probably $149 US, something like that. And this particular dock it's a it is a genuine thunderbolt dock it's not usb-c which means it can drive two hdmi 4k displays directly it can also drive uh it also has a single usb3 output and a single usb2 output as well as a gigabit ethernet this thing's pretty pretty nifty and it's not that big physically and it connects via one of the thunderbolt ports and it worked really really well and I took it to and from work with me so I could use it at work and plug into external displays at work as well as at home. So it got a little bit beaten up along the way. So the other thing that I that I that I found after a while is that because I was putting it in a bag and pulling it out of a bag and you just everyday wear and tear. So this particular cable started to uh, the rubber sort of sheath on the outside of the cable started to peel away and pull back from the connector. And you could see the shielded braid layer at each end. So I knew this thing was sort of getting some internal damage because of all of the use, because every now and then my USB connected devices would disappear and come back on. So you just ejected your hard drive without like, eject, you, you did you, sorry, you disconnected your, your, um, your, your hard drive without uh, ejecting it first. Naughty. And you'd get, you know what I'm saying? It's like you get that message up and you're like, well, no, I didn't, I didn't touch anything. Right. I didn't. That message always makes me feel like a little kid, like I'm getting in trouble by Apple. Yeah, exactly. They're like, you unplugged it without like d- doing it properly first. Like, what were you thinking? I'm like, yeah, but it wasn't me. It wasn't, I didn't do that. They need to figure that out. So that's not an issue. Oh, I don't understand that's, that anyway. Oh, man, that's uh that's a file system problem and I don't have a dinger to go ding and I'm not, anyway, but still, <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, it's uh it's a problem. But irrespective of that, that led me to the conclusion that, okay, there's some problem with the USB 3 output because all of my devices are plugged into USB 3 because I want to get the best performance out of it possible. And so I'm like, okay, I can't have my hard drive sitting off this thing anymore. My StarTech.com dock is no good anymore for that purpose. The screens were fine, as in like the 4K displays were fine. Uh, the Ethernet, I wasn't really using at that point, but when I was using it from time to time at work, uh, it was also seemed to be fine as well. So I'm like, okay, fine. So it's just the USB 3. And I then bought myself a really, really cheap uh, adapter from a company called Unitech, and it was a, a three-port USB 3 hub, and it had integrated gigabit Ethernet 
and I bought a really, really cheap USB-A to USB-C adapter from a company called Orico. Hey, eh, I don't know. Anyway, I'd never heard of them either, but never mind. And so at that point, I'm like, right, I've now separated out on USB 3.0. And so my MacBook Pro is now looking like power in one side, um, uh, StarTech.com Thunderbolt dock on the other side, and then one more output for uh, my USB-C 3-port hub, USB 3.0 hub. Okay. So then I'm like, okay, I, uh, I'm having some issues with my displays now going blinking. This is the nine months of you know, my, my StarTech.com Thunderbolt dock gradually degrading with use. I'm having problems with it now. So what am I going to do? So I thought, okay, let me just get some cheap USB-C to display port adapters from a company called Cable Creation. They were cheap. And it was just one port to display port. So one USB-C to display port. So I used, so I put those in. And so I had one for one monitor, one for the other monitor, got a couple of display port cables, then everything was fine again. And I could stop using the StarTech.com Thunderbolt dock. But at that point, I was now out of ports. But on the plus side, nothing was disconnecting anymore. So all of this has got nothing to do with the Bluetooth, so you think. But there's a reason I'm going on about it. <laughs> It's an important reason I'm going on about it. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to bore you. To, I'm not trying to put you to sleep. That's the other podcast. So I was going to say, yeah, that's not this podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a podcast for that. Oh my god. Anyhow, so at the end of all of this, that was all well and good until I needed to plug in the device I'm using right now, which is the Mix Pre Three, because the Mix Pre Three, which is my um, awesome podcasting mixer. Um, USB interface device is uh, USB-C. <laughs> so I needed to use one of those ports, but I couldn't because they were all in use. So when I would record, I would have to unplug one of my monitors and be one monitor down. Not the end of the world, admittedly, but still, like I said before, four ports was not enough. Well, it would have been enough if my dock would have been fine. But then again, why do I need a dock? Oh, that's right, because we've got everything now as a USB thing and we are living in uh, Dongle City and docks and dongles are now our friends until they're not. So far, so annoying. <laughs> yeah, sounds great. <laughs> yeah. So at this point in time, um, what I basically had sort of realized is that I had a bunch of other devices plugged in to my MacBook Pro. I had taken my my Bluetooth keyboard out of the equation by turning into a USB keyboard and that helped, that improved the stuttering of the mouse. So I then had a look around and said I and thought about well okay, I remember reading a long long time ago and I do actually mean a long time ago. It was almost a decade ago about how USB 3 would be terrible. For, for, for like for Wi-Fi and for Bluetooth. And I'm like, I don't know what made me think of it. it. It just randomly came into my head for some reason. Like I remembered reading an article about it. It wasn't a Google search either. It just, I don't know. I just, anyway. So I started doing some research into USB 3. And the article that I was thinking of was originally written, I think it was in 2011. So like I said, about a decade ago. And it was a fascinating paper put together by Intel about uh, USB 3. And there's a link in the show notes. And also a little bit about Bluetooth as well. Now, I didn't want to 
So I guess um, in in some episodes in the past, I've gone into inordinate detail about uh, how different protocols work and so on and so forth. I sort of consciously wishing to not do that this time, uh, maybe another time. But for the purposes of this uh, episode, I just wanted to talk about the specifics of how this manifested in in my use case in the hope that maybe this will help somebody else if they have problems like this. So need to talk a little bit about um, the problem and how I fixed it and then why it was a problem at all. Sticking with me? I'm all here, but I don't, you know. <laughs> I thought, though, when when you told me that we were going to talk about Bluetooth, I thought we were going to talk about King uh, Harold. Oh, yeah. Bluetooth. Well, we could. But, we, uh, we have to give him a mention, don't we? I tweeted last night that... Um, that you'd invited me on and we were going to do a history podcast. So I got a lot of people that were like testing me going, oh yeah, you've been wanting to do a history podcast for a while. So at least they'll hear this part and go, oh yeah, it was about, uh, that's how, that's how, uh, so King Harold was the uh, king of Denmark. He was actually the king that brought all of Denmark together. So uh, the Bluetooth, the, the little B that you see on Bluetooth is actually the, it's the, it's two ruins. It's the Haggle ruin and the, Bjarkin rune, which are the, which are his initials, HB. So that's how that little thing is made because it kind of looks funny. It doesn't look like a B or, you know, there's no T in there. It's, why is that a, why is that the logo? And uh, I guess Jim Kardashian of Intel in 1997 just said, hey, let's call it Bluetooth because he was the king that brought all of uh, Denmark together just the way that Bluetooth is supposed to bring every, you know, Everything to communicate together. So there's your history lesson. So for those that I said we were going to talk about history, we did for a second. Um, look, honestly, uh, I actually didn't know any of that, and I'm and thank you for for, <laughs> for filling me in on that. And there is a link in the show notes uh, for an article about um, the Denmark Bluetooth as opposed to the wireless standard Bluetooth. But yes, um, so yeah, no, I, I didn't know that. The fun, funny, funny, um, funny little bit of uh, history from my side uh, when Nortel let me go. Uh, in the mass downsizing where they sacked 60,000 people in the space of three months in an attempt to save themselves and it still didn't save them. Um, but never mind that. It was um, I was applying for uh, other jobs in and around Calgary and uh, I was interviewed for a particular job and I kind of had a little bit of egg on my face. Now, this is late 1997. Okay, and then what made me think about this is when you said in 97, the whole Bluetooth thing, right? And so when I was interviewed for this job, they asked me a specific question because they were looking for people to help them develop the first generation of Bluetooth uh, application-specific integrated circuits or ASICs. And uh, so they wanted to be one of the first ones to market. And they said, oh, um, how familiar are you with Bluetooth? And I'm like, with what? Because <laughs> I hadn't heard of it. And because my head was so buried in the CDMA standards and the uh, the TDMA standards and GSM I hadn't, so all the high power stuff, even though appliance BTS that I was working on um, was a low powered CDMA solution, uh, I hadn't, I hadn't actually been that, I had, I wasn't familiar with what was going on in that, in the, the very low, ultra low powered uh, spectrum. So, so there you go. And um, the other funny thing about that job is that uh, three days I'd booked my flights home, uh, three days before. Uh, my flight left. I'd already sold up all my stuff and everything. Uh, they called me and offered me a job. Um, but never mind that. No, no, I didn't take it. I came home. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's my history lesson about my first run-in with Bluetooth. Nice. <laughs> anyway. 
Okay. Um, uh, before we go any further, though, um, I should probably talk about our sponsor for this episode, actually. Uh, and this episode is brought to you by ManyTrix. And they're makers of helpful apps for the Mac. And their apps do, well, you guessed it, ManyTrix. And their apps include Butler, Keymail, uh, Leech, Desktop Curtain, TimeSync, Moom, Name Mangler, Resolutionator, and Witch. Uh, and there's so much to talk about for each of those apps that they make. So we're not going to cover all of them. We're just going to touch on some of them, just five actually. Uh, time sync, and I've been using that a lot lately, by the way. You can track your time that you spend in apps or activities on your Mac the simple and easy way by using time sync. You can pull all of your apps by common activities, create custom trackers for non-Mac activities if you want, and its simple but powerful reporting feature shows you exactly where your time went so you can plan better and stay focused when you need to. Uh, Resolutionator, that's another really good one too. It's so simple. It's a drop-down menu from the menu bar and you can change the resolution of whatever display you like that's currently connected to your Mac. Uh, The best part though, you can even set your resolution to fit more pixels than are actually there. And that's really, really handy, especially if you're stuck on a small screen laptop and you need a little bit more real estate on the screen. It's very, very handy. Now, which, you should think about which as a supercharger for your command tab app switcher. Let's say you've got three or four documents open at once uh, in any one app, and then you can use Witch's beautifully simple pop-up to quickly pick exactly the one you're looking for. You can switch between tabs as well as apps with app windows, with horizontal, vertical, menu bar switching panels, full text search for switching. You can show the frontmost app in the menu bar icon if you want. It now has full touch bar support too, and there's a lot more than that to it. Name Mangler. You've got a whole bunch of files to rename quickly, efficiently, and in large numbers. Then Name Mangler can help. It's designed for staged renaming sequences with powerful rejects pattern matching. Recent additions, including a group by feature when making a sequence and title case conversions, can now keep their existing formatting or you can convert them to lowercase based on their word length. The best part is it shows you the result as you go. And if you mess anything up, just revert back to where you started and try again. Moom. One of my favorites, I installed on every new app and every new Mac. It makes it easy to move any of your windows to whatever screen positions that you want, halves, corners, edges, fractions of the screen. And then you can even save and recall your favorite window arrangements with a special auto arrange feature when you connect or disconnect an external display. It also has full touch bar support and keyboard integration with Adobe's apps. It also works perfectly on an iPad operating in sidecar mode as well. Use that a few times. It's the first app that I load on a new Mac. Like I said, it's just awesome. Now, that's just five of their great apps, and that's only half of them, and they all work with the latest version of macOS Catalina. All these apps have free trials, and you can download them from manytricks, or one word, dot com slash pragmatic, and you can easily try them out before you buy them. They're all available from their website all through the Mac App Store. However, if you visit that URL, you can take advantage of a special discount off their very helpful apps exclusively for Engineered Network listeners. Simply use Pragmatic19, that's Pragmatic the word and 19 the numbers in the discount code box in the shopping cart and you'll receive 25% off. Now, this offer is only available to Engineered Network listeners for a limited time, so take advantage of it while you can. Once again, thank you so much to Manytricks for sponsoring the Engineered Network. 
Yeah, I, I use a couple of those. I didn't know they were. I didn't know they made Butler. I love that app. Yeah, and I, it, the funny thing is, I um, when I've spoken to them in the past, I said, "Hey, do you want me to um, to want me to talk about Butler because it's a great app? I've used it, and I, a lot of people that I know use it and love it as well." And uh, they asked me to focus on these five. They have their reasons. But to be honestly, I think that so many people know about and use Butler already. Maybe they feel like uh, it doesn't need an, uh, it doesn't need to be discussed. But, I mean, for whatever it's worth, yeah, Butler's awesome too. So, um, but yes, and I also have that installed on my Mac. But, yeah, anyway. Good, good, good company, good apps. Yeah, they are a great company and they have some really good apps. So, thanks again for for sponsoring uh, the show, guys. They've been one of our longest uh, supporters, actually. So, um, it's, uh, they're awesome. All right. So, I said I was going to get into a little bit more about the Bluetooth and why it is the way it is and what it's doing. So, let's do that. And I like when I'm trying to describe this to anybody or go through this or get it straight in my head, I like to go back to basics. And the basics are... Whenever you've got communication, you need three things. You need a transmitter, a receiver, and a transmission medium for joining the two or to carry the message. And the same is universally true no matter what you're doing. So in this particular application, the transmitter probably wasn't a factor because everything was within tens of centimeters or inches of each other. So signal strength from a transmission point of view, if I transmit, is it going to make the destination to the receiver? That's probably not a problem, like at all. Interference though, I mentioned it a few times before, interference could be a problem uh, for the receiver. So the problem with interference in the communication, the transmission medium between them, the problem with interference is that it's not as easy as it used to be. So narrowband and broadband, um, so when I talk about narrowband, uh, I guess a lot of people think about, um, when I, okay, maybe I'll think about this the other way around. When, when people want to talk about broadband, they think about broadband internet. When I'm talking about radio, it's all got to do with the, the, the width of the channel. So if you've got a channel that's carrying data, narrowband, let's say 25 kilohertz or 12.5 kilohertz or something like that, that's what they would consider a narrowband. And broadband could be measured in the megahertz, you know, like 2 megahertz, 5, 10, 20 megahertz, whatever it might be. So that's a broadband as in a very, very wide uh, bandwidth. Back in the beginning or the early days of radio, broadband wasn't used at all. All radio transmissions were essentially narrowband because you could make an antenna that was the perfect resonance for that frequency. You could optimize that for the minimum amount of power loss. And by focusing all of that power and all that energy into a narrow band, you would get a much higher peak energy and you that peak power output would get you more range, more distance. Now, fast forward to today or the last 30, 40 years and people have realized that, well, sometimes that's not what matters. Sometimes you don't need that range. Sometimes you only need things to work in smaller areas. And if that's the case, you don't need a high-powered narrowband signal. You want to flatten that out over a wide bandwidth. Broadband uh, communication technology, sort of, you know, GSM, uh, so time division multiplexing is not really what we're talking about. It's more frequency division multiplexing. And there's many ways you can do frequency division. Um, one of the methods is uh, direct sequence, spread spectrum. Uh, another one is frequency hopping, spread spectrum. So uh, the idea behind frequency hopping, for example, is that let's say your channel is a megahertz wide, you apply an algorithm to that to say, well, for this split moment here, I will be in this 
free part of that spectrum. In the next moment, I'll be another 20 kilohertz further up in another time period, I'll be further up and then I'll be back again. And by hopping around that spectrum, if you have got a narrow band interferer at one frequency, let's say 24.11 gigahertz, so 2.411 gigahertz, I'm only going to hop in and out of that specific part of that spectrum for a very brief period. So any data that I lose in that period of time, I've got other ways of recovering that. So we always, you know, we encode our data so we can recover lost data. So the idea is that even if you lose like three, four, five percent of that data, you can still recover it and you can still continue to transmit and the data will get through fine. The whole idea of frequency hopping sounds a little bit weird, but it does actually work as opposed to direct sequence, which is a different thing, which I'm not going to talk about. But anyway, another story. So the idea of broadband versus narrowband. However, all that was well and good because what broadband was trying to get around was narrowband interferers. In the beginning, we had narrowband radio signals. How do I get around the noise from interferers that are narrowband? I go to broadband. Okay, fine. So I'm frequency hopping in a nice broadband chunk of spectrum, so I should be fine. And yes, you will be fine if you're just trying to avoid narrowband interferers. But what if you've got a broad spectrum interferer, something that's going to spew noise across that whole frequency range such that if you chop uh, between this sub part, this part, this part, and then back again, no matter where you jump, you've got nothing but noise overriding over the top of you, at which point then you're kind of screwed. What does a broad spectrum interferer sort of look like? How, how is that a problem like for us, right? It's so the most obvious one is competing devices. So let's say you've got um, too many uh, Wi-Fi transmitters, too many Bluetooth transmitters. You've got cordless phones and they're all on different parts of that spectrum. So the way that they try and guard against that is they say, okay, well, Bluetooth, you have this chunk of 2.4 gigahertz. Wi-Fi, you have this chunk and they're separate they're separated separate chunks. But if you've got damage to one of them, then it could bleed over into the next spectrum because the spectrums are really right next to each other. So that's something that it could be could have been causing the problem. Because I've got a whole bunch of Wi-Fi, you know, hotspots in this place. It could have been those. But none of them are actually physically in this room. In fact, the nearest one is a good, you know, probably 20 feet away. So I don't know, maybe it's a possible. Put that down as a possible. And then, of course, you've got things that you don't realize. And there are things that you don't realize that could be causing broad spectrum interference. And one of the things that I didn't realize causes broad spectrum interference until someone pointed out to me a few years ago uh, are LED light bulbs. Do you have any LED light bulbs at all? I do. I, was, my, I just like went, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I do have some, yes. My whole house is full of LED light bulbs. Yeah, and it's increasingly the case. And it's uh, unlike fluorescent light bulbs, for example, or compact fluorescents, um, they they don't spew out broad spectrum, you know, interference. And the reason that LED lights can produce lots of interference is because what they are essentially is LEDs are a DC device, and we're plugging them into the AC, um, alternating current from power from the uh, the light socket, which comes from the switchboard, which in uh, in North America that's you know. 110 volts at 60 hertz, 120 volts, 60 hertz, whatever. And in other parts of the world, it's 220, 230, 240 volts at 50 hertz. 
But the point is that's alternating current. So to go from AC to DC, you've got to run it through a converter, step down the voltage to run it through the LED light. And all of that is essentially a switch mode power supply. And switch mode power supplies are noisy as hell. You would think, okay, well, switch mode power supplies, you know, like um, plug packs. So you, you those little wall, sorry, they call them wall warts too, right? So the little black box that plugs into your power strip or your, uh, well, uh, in North America, you guys call them power strips, but, you know, power boards, whatever you want to call them. You know, you plug these things into the wall to step it down to whatever else to charge whatever device you might have. And these things also are switch mode power supplies. So they're also very noisy. But usually they don't transmit noise or spew out noise way up into the Wi-Fi frequencies and Bluetooth frequencies. There have been cases where that happens, but that's it's rare, but it's not necessarily uh, a, a common problem. I uh, was having problems even with the lights in the local rooms turned off because they were happening the day and the night. So that's another one to be aware of. If you're having problems at night when all the lights are on and you're not during the daytime, well, that's another option. I have a... I have weird LED lights though. They don't have a they don't have a socket. They're actually just little flat panels. Oh, okay. My house is my house is uh I built it last year and when I went to go get a bunch of hue lights, I went and bought some and I uh, took the top off or took the you know off my light and I looked at it and there's just a little panel in there, so I don't have any sockets at all. Which was a little frustrating because I couldn't get the hues that I wanted, but whatever. Yeah, that's that's cool. Um we actually have some lights at work that are similar to that and uh, they actually do have their converters but the converters are off in a different room and uh, it's like they're hidden in like wall panels. So so they step down their voltage and they run DC to the lights and they have a different fitting like you're describing. And it's interesting because I, I walked into those into this one room way, way back after they had the building refit and uh, I asked them, well, is there something wrong with the air conditioning in this room? And they're like, yeah, it's just there's, um, I think there's about uh, uh, 4,000 4, watts worth or something like that of of, uh, of heat being dissipated from all the switch mode converters for the LED lights in the next room. I'm like, oh, <laughs> so we solved the problem by moving it into the next room. Great. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Yeah, it is interesting though, the way it's going. And I've I talked about an episode a long, long time ago about I do hope that at some point we go just go to DC and be done with it. Yeah, you know, like the house has got DC for lights and then DC for appliances and we don't do this whole AC to DC thing. Yeah, it's stupid. It is. It is. It's uh it's old school. But anyway, that's all that's all right. We'll get there at some point. So in this case, just saying it's a heads up as a possible. So getting back to my specific problem. Uh, if I was going to have, uh, if it was a problem with interfering, then I something would have to have been a broadband interferer and it would have to be close to the MacBook Pro because it needs to drown out the receiver. And I know it's the receiver on the MacBook Pro that's the problem because if you think about it from the AirPods perspective, the AirPods have got data going in both directions. So you've got data from the MacBook Pro to the AirPods for the audio that you're hearing from the computer and you've got the vice versa. You've got the AirPods transmitting to the MacBook Pro and it's trying to receive that from the AirPods and that's the problem. That's what was breaking up. So you could argue, of course, that you know, technically in order to negotiate a connection and if we go down the whole you know, W1 chip and how that works and that's a whole other story. But the point is that, yes, there is a bit of back and forth. There's negotiation. So I say it's transmitting and receiving, but the truth is that the data that's coming back into the MacBook Pro is predominantly the microphone. Obviously, it's also if you tap it, tap the side of the AirPods or squeeze them if you've got AirPods Pro, that also is technically communicated back to the MacBook Pro. But 
Yeah, it was evidence enough to suggest that whatever was interfering was interfering with the uh, MacBook Pro's ability to receive Bluetooth. And how that would be manifest on the keyboard would be, well, some of those keystrokes. So if you type a keystroke on the keyboard, it's going to build up a buffer. And then that buffer is going to send that through to the MacBook Pro on Bluetooth. And the MacBook Pro is going to say, uh, I missed that last bit. Can you send it again? Missed that last bit. Can you send it again? At which point then the buffer builds up and then suddenly five or six keystrokes get through all at once. And then you see all of your keys catch up. So all of the, the cause and effect of it all, it pointed to a localized interferer that was drowning out the nearest radio receiver in the MacBook Pro for Bluetooth. So far, so good? So good. Okay. Again, uh, the whole Bluetooth... Okay, so I do have to say some of the specifics about Bluetooth. So Bluetooth operates specifically between 2.4 exactly and 2.485 gigahertz, which is a, I say narrow-ish. It's not that narrow. It's 85 megahertz of spectrum. So if you exclude the guard bands, so guard bands are just to stop interference from adjacent um, frequency allocations. So forgetting the guard bands, so get rid of those. There are 79 one megahertz wide channels. And each channel observes standard, I say standard in air quotes, a spread spectrum frequency hopping. So frequency hopping, spread spectrum, uh, I'll sort of walk through how that works, but that's how Bluetooth does its spread spectrum. Going back to the USB 3 article, why did I bring up USB 3? Why did you? Why did I? Well, you know, I was bored and I figured <laughs> I would just talk about it for no reason. Okay. <laughs> So USB 3 was called originally Super Speed. I don't know if anyone still remembers that, but it was. Um, and uh, anyway, it was first announced in 2008. But the first devices really hit the market in 2010. And it was a massive step up from USB 2 in terms of the data rates that you could get, at least you know for the years leading up to that. Nowadays, we just take it for granted. It's like, oh, it's the standard, you know. Um, but there was a downside that they figured out that they there were several white papers written, but the one that I was remembering uh, was by uh, Intel. But there was another one by another company called MicroSemi. It was really good too. The problem when they were doing certification for USB 3.0, though, was that they found that there was a lot of EMI uh, problems. So uh, EMI is uh, electromagnetic interference. When we talk about um, like CE tick, um, the C tick of appliance or A ticks and N ticks and all these other things. Um, they're all different standards designed to ensure that there are two things. You've got uh, electromagnetic susceptibility and you've got electromagnetic interferer. So if, you're, if your device, let's say you're Apple and you want to release a device on the market, what you want to make sure is that it doesn't radiate too much electromagnetic interference and you also don't want it to be susceptible to other electromagnetic uh, interference from other interferers outside of your product. So there's a whole bunch of qualification testing which you can do, and I actually did some of that qualification testing a long time ago uh, in a, in a previous life, and I won't talk about it because you know that's it was defense stuff, and it was really not that exciting. But irrespective, it's classified. The point is that EMI and EMC testing is uh, a, a very important part of all new hardware and uh, product development. And so they realized that because of all these extra high-speed buses going outside of the computer, they had to do something about all of the EMI that was spewing out everywhere. Normal cables, as they were at that point for USB 2, weren't going to cut it. They had to have additional shielding 
and they also did something else. And this is very important. There were several EMI peaks because of the frequencies that they were doing the data clock at. And they were causing narrowband EMI peaks. So remember before I talked about narrowband, wideband, and the narrowband, you can put more power into it. Well, sometimes it's unintentional. Sometimes with digital, you're trying to switch that signal so fast that those frequencies, you're going to get a whole raft of harmonics and they're going to be very high powered and they're going to be very narrow band. And so in order to get rid of that problem or reduce that problem and spread that problem out, you might be able to figure out where I'm going here, is rather than have so many uh, little, little, so many big peaks to flatten it out so that it was essentially flattened across a wider spectrum, they applied a concept uh, of spread spectrum to the data clocking. And I say that in a matter of speaking. There's, an, there's a fascinating article, like I mentioned before, from MicroSemi that explains this. There's a link in the show notes and they call it spread spectrum clocking. And it's a technique that they use to intentionally modulate the ideal position of the clock edge such that the resulting signal spectrum is spread around the, clock, the ideal frequency of the clock. And that has the effect of spreading that noise across a very wide frequency range which means that when it comes to EMI compliance, it's easier to get EMI compliance because there's no narrowband noise, which is what EMI is looking for. EMI will say, don't spew out this signal greater than like 60 dBm, you know, in this frequency range. Otherwise, that's an insta-fail. Go back and redesign your stuff. And so this solved their problem at the cost of increasing spread spectrum noise. And so it was, uh, and I'll just correct myself, it was in 2012, not 2011, sorry, the Intel white paper. And what it did is there were enough devices on the market that it actually did a test of a USB 3.0 hard drive. And there's a figure, figure 3.3 in their white paper. And it shows with the spectrum analyzer, the amount of noise that increases the noise floor in the specifically in the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth bands. And if you look at the 2.4 gigahertz section for that uh, that 85 meg part of the Bluetooth spectrum, and it is significantly higher. And so Intel's commentary, and I'll quote exactly so that it's so that it's clear. This is what Intel said in their uh, analysis. With the hard drive connected, the noise floor in the 2.4 gigahertz band is raised by nearly 20 dB. This could impact wireless device sensitivity significantly. Kablammy. Yeah, whoopsies. <laughs> now, of course, you know, you could argue that this has been a problem then for a very long time potentially. So why is, how is this not an issue for other people? Is this actually the cause of the problem? Well, I'll put to you that this is the cause of my problem and I'll explain why. Because I... It could not be anything else. And unfortunately, the answer to this was spend more money, um, which I don't- It's always the answer. It's not always the answer, but unfortunately, (laughs) it was this time. And I really hate that being the answer. But I tried everything. Believe me, I did. Um, There's photos in the article that I wrote on Tech Distortion about this. I, um, (laughs) okay. You know how people make jokes about people wearing tinfoil hats? (laughs) Yep. Well, I got some tinfoil, I guess. And I wrapped it and then I wrapped the whole cable for my StarTech.com adapter in that. And I wrapped that in electrical tape. And then I got an RF choke 
and I, I clipped that on the outside of the cable and it did not help enough. And I had a look at my cheap USB Ethernet adapter and I'm like, okay, I'm going to take it out of the equation. I've taped up my dock. It slightly improved it, but I still had mouse stuttering. I still had problems with my audio. So I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done playing. This is this has got to be what it is. It's got to be something wrong with this damn dock. I, I need my ports. I can't just keep using this other USB um, hub because it was made out of entirely out of plastic. The shielding on it was it was obvious that it didn't have very much at all. And so I just unplugged them all. And then I tried using my mouse with the MacBook Pro working uh, without the other screens, of course, just the laptop display. And it was perfect. I figured I've got noise from my hub. I've got noise from my dock. I can't fix them. And I suspect that that USB noise is just leaking out and I can't stop it. So I bought a CalDigit TS3 Plus hub, Thunderbolt dock. Now, this thing's beautiful. Okay, don't get me wrong. It's also not cheap. <laughs> it's like it's 400 bucks Australian. It's go it retails for about 300 US. So this thing is not cheap. And the thing that's incredible about it though is that right now I've got one cable plugged into my MacBook Pro and it goes to the dock. Everything else, absolutely everything else is plugged into that dock and I still have spare ports. And there is no stutter. There is no keyboard lag. My AirPods work perfectly and the trackpad is not going off like a jackhammer anymore. Fantastic. It fixed it. I mean, maybe it's worth just quickly listing what I've got plugged in this. So I, so in the TS3 Plus, I've got the audio output to my desktop speakers. I've got a set of powered desktop speakers. So that's it's a 3.5 mil audio out jack. So I've got that connected to that. I've got hardwired ethernet to my router. I've got a Thunderbolt cable, obviously, to the Mac Pro. That also charges the Mac Pro. Um, I've got... Um, the DisplayPort output goes directly to monitor one over DisplayPort. I've got a, um, I'm plugged the Thunderbolt downstream connection to a to one of my DisplayPort adapters to the other 4K monitor. I've got one USB-A port to the eight terabyte hard drive. I've got one USB-A port to my Blu-ray drive, which I can now leave permanently connected, which is cool uh, for when I want to uh, get up a Blu-ray disc. I've got one USB-A to a Qi charging pad just because I can. Um <laughs> Why not, right? It's a spare port. It's going to, right. you know, one less cable charging that anyway. Um, the USB-C connection to the Mix Pre 3 that I'm recording this conversation on right now. And of course, the AC power adapter, uh, which goes to the wall socket to power the whole thing. It also has an SD card reader, which I've used many times uh, for my um, Nikon. I'm taking some photos and I've tested all the other ports. So I can now pack away my USB-C 61 watt charger and my Apple MacBook Pro USB white cable because I don't need it anymore and everything's back on Bluetooth and everything's working perfectly. Problem solved. That's amazing. <sighs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so you think that, uh, you know, when they were doing Bluetooth, they just didn't realize that it was going to be, there was going to be so many devices using it and stuff like that? Or I think there's a confluence of problems. I mean, I guess if you go back to the 90s, they weren't even, I guess they probably weren't thinking about the scale the Bluetooth could get to for sure. Uh, that, that I agree with that. I think they wouldn't have even thought of it. But I also think that when they did USB 3 they, and all the high-speed um, data and all that, I think that's 
there were some assumptions made. And I think that the drive to get costs down has led to some of that being a little bit less thoroughly tested or not as robustly built as it perhaps should have been. And that's a contributing factor now because we're at the bottom point of that cycle. I mean, USB 3 has now been around for 10 years and so longer or thereabouts anyway. And so that that drive to the bottom is stronger today than ever. Everyone else, if you go to Thunderbolt, the specs on Thunderbolt cables, they're even higher, you know, in terms of shielding and 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 constant um, uh, like capacitance and inductance and it's, you know, getting Thunderbolt cables, you know, they even have conditioning chips in the cables. You know, it's it's a, it's very complicated. The, the point of it is that um, as they go faster and faster, they have to do more and more to stop interference from getting out. And if you have damage to the cables or the devices are poorly designed, you're kind of screwed. And I guess, I guess the other part of the thing, the other part of the problem, I, I, I think, is that there's lots of layers in the stack. I mean, I spoke to Casey about this a couple of times and um, as I was attempting to convince him to try some of these other things. Um, and he's convinced that it's been a problem since Mojave. It's a software problem and that's all there is to it. And it's like, well, I, if I remember correctly, the, the problem has moved with between machines and other people with similar machines and similar builds and similar equipment don't have this problem. So is there another broad broadband interferer somewhere near his desk that's causing that interference? So he remains convinced it's a software problem. I respectfully disagree, but that's okay. It's just a process to work through that uh, that troubleshooting and saying, right, well, look, I've eliminated all these other possibilities. So what's left has to be what it is, which is probably a poorly poor ripoff of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle there. But you know. <laughs> Sherlock Chigi. <laughs> I guess you feel it feels a bit like that. You have to be, and because it's I don't have a thirty thousand dollar RF spectrum analyzer that I can just dangle in front of my computer and say, "Oh yeah, there is your problem." Well, no, I can't do that, and I wish I could, but alas, no. So anyhow, so I guess what's the solution? Um, I think ultimately the solution. I hate to say it, I was going to go spend more money. The StarTech.com doc was <laughs> slightly over half the price, slightly over. So, so it wasn't quite half, but you know, it was a bit more than that. So maybe three-fifths the amount of money of the, um, the TS3 Plus. But the truth is that had I spent more up front or maybe had I treated it better, um, I never would have had these problems in the first place. People that have got this problem are usually got this problem because they've got either a cheap, a cheap cable a bad connection or a damaged cable or a, or a faulty device. And because it's plugged in and it's, or it's physically very close to your computer, that noise is going to cause weird interference. And it may not manifest the same way for you as it did for me because it could be some other problem like random disconnects. So, um, for, for example, um, longtime patron and longtime supporter of the show, um, a guy called Ted McFadden, uh, after he read my article, he went and moved one of his USB drives much further away from his Mac. And he'd been having problems with Bluetooth dropouts and it just stopped. And I checked in with him a few hours ago, just before we started recording. And he said he hasn't had a dropout it, this whole week. Now that's not definitive, of course, but it certainly is a good sign. 
and people I think have gotten too accustomed to oh you know I'll just grab this cable and it's it's like whatever it is on monoprice it's really cheap and so on and so forth well if you're having weird dropout problems if you're having weird issues with your bluetooth devices it, it's worth thinking uh, it's worth exploring a bit more I was also talking to um, uh, Peter Nicolaitis and um, in the Slack group, and he was having to set his Wi-Fi channels manually because he had an, he he has his own RFP soup, I suppose, in his house. So many different Wi-Fi devices. <laughs> so you know, because Wi-Fi devices are supposed to be able to automatically pick channels, and it wasn't working properly for him. So have you have you ever had um, have you ever had to do that yourself? I uh, I I messed with it just because I wanted to mess with it. I have. Uh, very good internet. I have gigabit ether or ethernet to all my computers and then my wireless is very good. So I wasn't, I don't have any issues with it. However, I did play with it just recently because as I'm home and just messing around with my digital life, I got nothing better to do. So <laughs> I downloaded it. I downloaded an app that would show me what channels everybody was using. And actually uh, no one around me is on the same channel I am. So I don't really have an issue with it, but yeah, it's a, it could be a problem for sure, especially in apartments and such, but I live in a, a house next to, you know, far enough away that it's not a big deal for me. Yeah, so when Peter um, told me about that, I'd, I'd actually, it had slipped my mind that you could manually set them because uh, I've always seen that option, but I always left it on automatic. I've never had to do that, but that is another option. And, um, and, and apparently that worked really well for him because I think actually he also mentioned he has some Zigbee stuff in there as well, which is another potential interferer as well yeah i, I think uh i think most people when they, if they had this issue they would probably just not they would probably would not figure it out honestly with as much as you went into it and i enjoy the fact that you know like you call, talk about casey anecdotally not seeing this but i mean you've pretty much laid it out here based in graphs and everything saying that you know these are the items that leak the spectrum and, and you know it's fairly easy to understand well thank you i tried to i tried to sort of explain as best i could the, the thing is with the, there's a couple of things that I've, I've found really annoying in my um well see i was playing with radio a long time before i was even before i was an engineer i started playing in cb radio when i was like 10 years old and then i got into um or 12 i forget a while back anyway Memory is hazy, but somewhere back then, and uh, I built every antenna I could. You could probably name. I've built built it. Some I even I even designed just mathematically, like my log, the log periodics. I did a few of those that I actually did the calcs myself and everything, and and that's so much fun. You know, I really enjoyed doing it. And then I became an amateur radio operator or a ham radio operator, and then I you know got my you know electrical engineering degree, and the rest I've gone on about probably ad nauseum. So the fact is though that through whole all that time with radio. There's this consistent, uh, I don't know, it's almost, it's not a, it's it's a perception that that it's some kind of magic, you know, like there's it's a black box and inside that black box is, is black box magic. It's, uh, it's black magic in there. It's like, you know, and, um, and it's not, you know, it's, it really isn't, it, there is no such thing as, as magic. There's no such thing as, there's, there's always a reason. It's just a matter of understanding it, and it's just it's frustrating because some people look at this and they just throw their hands up in the air and say, "Oh yeah, that's RF stuff. I don't get it." I, I I've I've come to appreciate that when we've when we've got communication. You know, I talked before about a sender and a receiver and and the communication medium between. You've got this problem where everyone wants to communicate between two places. And that is never a problem if there's only ever two people in the world and one communication medium between them. That's no problem. 
but it's when you add in millions of other people or in this case devices all wanting to talk to each other or different people and they're all stacked on top of each other in the same space, then you've got a problem. And so the easiest way is a cable because everything, your signal is encapsulated within a cable uh, because then you own it. You know, you, you own the transmission medium. So you can do whatever you want in your private party cable. You know, it's not going to interfere with anybody and it's, and it's yours. But the problem is that if you've got a lot of noise in there and then you let that noise out, suddenly it becomes a problem for everyone else. And so containing that, I don't know, think about, think about like a genie in a bottle. And once you, once you let that genie out of the bottle, that noise being the genie and the bottle being the shielding on the cable, once you let that genie out of the bottle, it's over. You can't shove it back in very easily. Once you've broken that, it's hard to, it's hard to fix it. So I, I, I think I suppose if I was, if I was giving a general advice, if you're having issues with, you know, if you're having issues with Bluetooth devices or even Wi-Fi dropouts and so on and so forth, one thing you can try is if you've got a lot of stuff plugged into your device, just disconnect whatever you can get away with and try and systematically figure out if you've got a bad cable or a bad device that's causing noise to get out there, especially if it's USB 3 because USB 3 has these issues. And if you have hubs and devices, treat them better than I treated mine. Because... <laughs> Be nice to them. I did not help the... That's StarTech.com. I know I was sort of going on about it, but I mean, the truth is I could have been nicer. I could have been gentler with it. But... Um, and it's and it's and I suspected if I if this beautiful TS3 dock if I had if I treated its cable the way I treated um, the StarTech.com uh, if I took it in and out of work five days a week for for six months I don't think it's going to look quite as pretty as it does now. So, you know, maybe keep that in mind. Need to put it in a put it in a sleeve. Yes, it needs a sleeve or a sock or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh. Alrighty. So what do you think? I think you explained it first to someone like me who couldn't, who wouldn't understand any of this stuff, and you explained it very well. And now I can, you know, if I was having these issues more, I think I would understand a little bit about it. Cool. All right. Just some real time follow up though. Yeah. For uh, it is Mojave, not Mojave. <laughs> Mojave. I I live <laughs> in it. I live in the Mojave Desert. Been here for twenty years. So uh. for I know I know everybody. Everybody has their own uh, accent and how they say things, but from the from the person that lives in it, Mojave. It's Mojave. Mojave. Yeah, got it. Mojave. And I sense that that's perhaps a three and a half year correction in the making there, um, because, and I think you know what I'm talking about. There's an episode of Bubble Sort, perhaps, where we we may have had this this conversation less directly. So yes, Mojave. <laughs> so Mojave. Got it. Yeah. Yep. Loud and clear. Very good. Nice. Okay, well then, um, hmm. if you would like to talk more about this, you can reach me on the Fediverse at uh, chigi at engineered.space, on Twitter at John Chigi, or one word, or the network at engineered underscore net. I'd personally like to thank ManyTrix for once again sponsoring the Engineered Network. If you're looking for some Mac software that can do, well, many tricks, remember specifically visit this URL, manytricks, or one word, dot com slash pragmatic for more information about their amazingly useful apps. 
Now, if you're enjoying Pragmatic and you want to support the show, you can uh, by supporting our sponsor or via Patreon at patreon.com slash John Chigi, all one word. Uh, with this, thank you to all of our patrons and a special thank you to our silver producers, Mitch Bigler, John Whitlow, Joseph Antonio, Kevin Kosh, and Oliver Steele. And an extra special thank you to our gold producer, known only as R. Patron rewards include a named thank you on the website, a named thank you at the end of episodes, access to raw detailed show notes, as well as ad-free, high-quality releases of every episode. So if you'd like to contribute something, anything at all, there's lots of great rewards. And beyond that, it's all really, really appreciated. Of course, there's lots of other ways to help, like favoriting the show on your podcast player app, sharing the episode or the audio with your friends or via social. Some podcast players let you share audio clips of episodes, so if you have a favorite segment, feel free to share that as well. All of these things help others to discover the show and can make a huge difference. So if you would uh, like to get in touch with Ronnie, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you, mate? Uh, I am pretty much just on Twitter, at Ronnie Lutz, L-U-T as in Tommy, yes. That's where you can find me. Awesome. Very good. Thank you for that. And um, so once again, a special thank you to all of our patrons and a big thank you to everyone for listening. And um, thanks for coming on the show, Ronnie. It's been, uh, it's been a blast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Anytime. Now it's time for the after show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just, oh God.